As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the Internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? (laughs) You mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed Internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Ryan Bailey, and today we are previewing the biggest match in domestic soccer, the Champions League final, which this season features the second biggest club in Manchester, Manchester City, and the second biggest club in southwest London, Chelsea. AFC Wimbledon are the biggest club in that region, in case you didn't realise. Joining me to look ahead to the big one on Saturday is a man whose team can score 10 penalties in a shootout and still lose, Taylor Rockwell! Hi, Ryan. Thanks for that, buddy. Thanks for that. Yeah, what what a day. We had planned to record this a long time ago, uh, and then extra time, and then everybody decided to get really good at penalties really fast. Yes, we're recording minutes after Champions yeah. League Junior just finished with Manchester United <laughs> and Villarreal, uh, which did not go the way of Taylor Rockwell's no. team. I mean, what, what kind of goalkeeper training are they doing at Man United if they don't train them to take penalties in the 11th spot? Honestly. Uh, I mean, it did feel, I felt very bad for David De Gea, which is uh, not a thing I expected to feel uh, coming out of this game or heading into this game, rather. But that, like, normally with the goalkeeper, you can at least point to like, yeah, well, some of your guys like didn't take them, didn't score. It's not just you. And on this occasion, not only did he not save a single one, but he is the one who missed the one penalty. Tough spot to be in for David De Gea. I mean, you could make the argument that maybe they shouldn't have been there in the first place and maybe saving all of your subs until the final 10 minutes of extra time doesn't make a whole bunch of sense. But then again, it's only going to Solskjaer, who makes weird faces when he does score. So who knows? Okay, right so, over, maybe, so possibly. We'll we're see blaming Solskjaer rather than the keeper who didn't save a single penalty in the shootout and didn't score one either? I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm happy <laughs> to blame lots of different people. Who else you got? Let's throw some more people in there. Uh, Marcus Rashford continuing to be on the field despite not being able to move at all. That seemed like an interesting choice for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Some questionable decisions. Donny van de Beek has apparently been banished to Siberia for the rest of his existence. That's a fun one, too. 
Well, uh, let's bring more gasoline onto this fire and welcome in our other voice for this show. It's a man who is infinitely more interesting than normal time at the 2021 Europa League final. It's Joe Lowry. <laughs> Ryan, thank you for that. In this case, I'm not sure how high of a compliment that really is, but I'm going to take it anyway. I mean, the bar was low, I must admit. Yeah, it's not, yeah. It's not, it's not <laughs> a huge praise. I apologize. <laughs> I will say, I, I will say, I get... I get genuinely nervous. Like my insides get nervous watching penalty kick shootouts. I don't know if other people ever feel that. I just, I don't, that doesn't happen to me in other sports moments really. But that, that one moment in particular really does something to me to the point where even if I'm not invested in the teams at all, I still have a hard time watching. Does that happen to you guys or no? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Okay, yeah. I think good. they're very exciting. But just to be clear, Joe, which part of your insides get nervous? Where did the nervousness touch you? <laughs> Stomach. Stomach only. Stomach only. <laughs> okay. Got it. Got it. Thank you. I, no, man, I'm with you, Joe. And I also I had a new level of anxiety I've not experienced before, or like, I guess, secondhand anxiety of I've been on a penalty shootout and I've missed. I've been on a penalty shootout and I've taken one and scored. And there's an, a, a, a tremendous feeling of like relaxation and calm and just like, well, I did what I could do. It's out of my hands now. And to have it potentially come back around after you've made one, that is the thing that I think after I thought like, well, job done, I can't do anything else, to now have to get back into the competitive mode. That's terrible. I was very interested in how that was going to play out. Luckily, David De Gea saved his his teammates that sort of thought experiment. I think (laughs) one saving grace for De Gea as well, guys, is the fact that he missed the knockout penalty, the deciding penalty. He didn't have to walk back to the center circle knowing that more penalties had to be taken because that walk, when a player does that, must be the longest walk in soccer surely yeah yeah he was he was i guess sort of like helped out by his teammates i wouldn't say comforted it was just sort of like hey man you did what you could on we go i mean maybe maybe it's the europa league and they just weren't sort of like it wasn't that next level motivation that maybe you'd get from the champions league but i think Villarreal definitely had that and the way they kind of defended and fought for 120 plus minutes was was pretty commendable if not the most entertaining thing i've seen so if that final was on a Thursday night, do you think his head would have been more in the game for Europa League action? <laughs> yes, that would. That was the problem, is they were playing. Maybe that's what they were trying to do, is trick them into thinking they were playing a Champions League final on a Wednesday, uh, which was which was not to be. I'm assuming that was because they didn't want any sort of overlap at all, like or any sort of, we got to give them a couple days to rest the TV production crew. I don't really know why we went with Wednesday instead of Thursday. Uh, when is it? Is it usually on a Thursday? I can't even remember now. Time's a flat circle. I mean, so Europa on. League is usually the Thursday day, but I guess this year they kind of spread it out a bit more. So who knows? All I can say is that I'm still sad and I'm excited to be angry about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and Manchester United for the rest of this show. Should work. And all I can say is this is premium recording conditions for the Total Soccer Show. Mm-hmm. So to have you in such a mood, I'm looking forward to uh, the rest of this show playing out. And I yeah. mean that sincerely because I love it when you're sassy. I always say that. <laughs> okay, <laughs> <all right>. uh, <laughs> and also, I have, I have no further desire to invest myself anymore in the Europa League. I didn't feel like that was a great advertisement for that particular competition. Bring on the Europa Conference League! That's what I say. <laughs> and uh, I'm just glad to be shouting again because I'm back in my own home. I'm out of the library that I was in in, my pre- in the previous yeah. uh, TSS episode, by the way. So you'll hear me being obnoxiously loud once again in this episode, gents. Why don't we talk about the big boy competition that's coming up on Saturday, 3 p.m. Eastern on CBS. You can tune in to see the Champions League final, Manchester City against Chelsea, taking place in the Estadio de Dragao in Joe's town, Porto, Portugal. Not in Istanbul. Yeah, indeed. Not, Not in Istanbul for the second year running. 
when will Istanbul catch a break and finally get to host this game? Who knows? Uh, <laughs> it's certainly been delayed for a little while. But hey, we're all going to Portugal for some reason and not, not staging this game between two English sides in England during a pandemic. Manchester City, they're looking for the treble in this one. The uh, Champions League, the League Cup and the Premier League. That's the treble. That's the official treble. Uh, Pep Guardiola will tell you that is the official treble. There's no questions need to be asked about that. Chelsea, on the other hand, if they lose this game, they could end up having lost two finals this season and only snuck into the top four because Leicester did a mess up. So uh, it's a lot on the stake, a lot on the stake, a lot on, <laughs> a lot at stake for both mm-hmm. sides, I should say. And this game, by the way, will have a limited capacity of 16,500 in the stadium in Porto. It's a stadium that hosts usually around 50,000 fans. Manchester City, by the way, paying for their fans to travel to this game. Quite a flex for them. Uh, Chelsea, meanwhile, we read in The Guardian, have returned more than 800 tickets out of their allocation of 5,800 uh, because the tickets cost up to 400 euros a piece and there's quite a lot of restrictions on how you may travel you may only spend 24 hours in portugal uh due to covid restrictions and you have to take tests before and after yada 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 it's made quite difficult from the fact that it's not in england so there will be fans but um only the ones who have uh, sort of run the gauntlet to get out to portugal joe but you know uh, being the being the dictator of porto that it's worth it to get there right <laughs> i'm just imagining everyone having to run an american ninja warrior course before they actually <laughs> get to uh, go watch this game and that that is quite a quite a delightful image for me. Well, both teams ran the ninja gauntlet uh, to get to this final, did they not? Uh, in the that was a terrible segue, but I tried. My you did best. your best, man. I tried my you did best. your best. <laughs> Let's talk about Man City. Man City to start. Speaking off. of ninjas, Pep Guardiola is stealthy in his tactical approach. Speaking of words, here are some more on a there different subject. Perfect. Manchester Perfect. City. How did they get to this place in this competition? They were direct qualifiers from being second place last season. They topped Group C, Taylor with a 5-1-0 record. Tell me more about their journey. Uh, they're real good, is, is I guess what I will tell you about Manchester City's journey along the way. They, uh, I believe, knocked out PSG when last we saw them. Mm. Is that correct? Oh, yes. yes. I kind of, I've kind of lost uh, my frame of reference, having just spent Manchester United torturing me over 120 <laughs> minutes. Uh, yes, but there was there was PSG along the way, there was Dortmund along the way, there was a comprehensive league win as well in there. It's been a fine season for Pep Guardiola, who himself I think acknowledged that this was not the team he expected to make the Champions League final. I guess a slight amount of shade thrown at his own team, but uh, I think that's his way of saying that this seemed like maybe a year or so away from where they were, and yet here they are in the final and very much the favorite to win it Mm, almost shade thrown on himself there as well peculiar comment to make but uh uh, joe tell me about chelsea how they got here they um they topped their group as well they topped group e with a 4-2-0 record they had a very different manager in that group stage did they not (laughs) they did there were some changes along the way certainly for chelsea this season now being led by thomas tuchel they won that champions league group as you mentioned ryan then they beat atletico madrid in the round of 16 got another defensively oriented team although atleti not as much this year as in years past but they got porto in the quarterfinals, my team, my beloved team, and my beloved city. <laughs> and they did, unfortunately, beat Porto in the quarterfinals. And then they marched on to beat Real Madrid in the semifinals. And then they finished fourth in the league this year as well. It's been a, a promising turnaround under Thomas Tuchel. They haven't lit the world on fire in terms of their goal scoring, but they've created chances. They have a very definable, observable structure in attack and in defense. And all of that stuff, I think, is uh, a little bit of a boost after the Frank Lampard era. 
I think uh, post-Frank Frank Lampard era as well, Joe, the big question is how can Chelsea win a Champions League game that's not in Seville? Because they think <laughs> they play all of them there now, don't they? Yeah, this is going to be... Forget all the other prep that I've done, all the reading I've done, watching I've done. That is the key point for this game. Can we get it moved to Seville before Saturday? There we go. There we go. Well, I hope they do for their sake because... Uh, no, I don't, actually. Why don't we move on to Manchester City? Uh, Taylor. Yes, sir. It's difficult to sometimes predict what yeah. Manchester City are going to do in terms of their setup. We expect generally a 4-3-3. However, when these teams last met uh, in the league, when Chelsea took a 2-1 win, when was that? That was uh, but a few weeks ago. Uh, four at the Pep did a three at the back, didn't he? Which is a relatively unusual move for Pep with a 3-1-4-2. We've seen him do a 4-2-3 uh, a mm-hmm. something else as well yep. at some points. Basically, what I'm asking is, what do you expect to be the general approach from Pep in this game? And I know that's a very tricky and uh, fluid question. Um, I would say generally moving away from the formation for a second, I would say generally I would expect them to press very high, very aggressively, try to kind of funnel Chelsea out wide, especially when uh, Man City do lose possession, push that defensive line high and really try to suffocate the game, take it to Chelsea early and make something happen as quickly as possible. Uh, that is my abbreviated answer. It's also my way of sidestepping the formation question because that is a really tricky one. I said this when you and I, when you, me and Graham reviewed that uh, their loss to Chelsea when they tried to mirror Chelsea's formation. Mm-hmm. I said I felt like it wasn't just a random experiment because I don't think Pep really thinks that way. At the very least, it seemed like him maybe trying something and then they could fine tune it from there. So we might see them in a back three. But given that I think the two times they've done it, including that Chelsea game, they did not win in the last month. Mm. I would say there's a chance that we do see them in more of their standard 4-3-3. But I think it's probably worth talking about the few different permutations, the few different lineup uh, choices we could see in this one. Uh, Joe, so far, have I said uh, about the right thing? Yeah, no, I think you have. I really struggle with City. I almost gave up during the knockout rounds trying to map out what their formation was in possession. Defensively, it was a lot easier in the Champions League. It's been a 4-4-2 defensively with Bernardo Silva and Kevin De Bruyne as the front two. Then you have the line of four across midfield and then the four in the back line. That's pretty straightforward. We can look at the game and see that and write it down and feel confident about it. In possession, though, it's so fluid under Guardiola. In in one specific game, it's fluid, but it's also fluid over the course of a bunch of different games, both in terms of personnel and in terms of how his players are being used and what spaces they're occupying. Sometimes it looks like a back three, either because there are three center backs on the field or because the number six, most often that's Rodri, dropping between the center backs. Other times you've got you know other players tucking inside. Joel Cancelo, if he's playing left back or right back, tucks inside. And if he's not, maybe there's less of that. Kyle Walker can do that. The wingers are often wide, but sometimes they tuck inside. I mean, there's so many different ways that City can look. And that's why I struggle to figure out exactly how they'll line up in this game. We can have specific guesses of, of maybe where certain players might be. But I think it might even be a bit of a fool's errand to try to predict exactly what shape they're going to use with the ball. Yeah, I, I agree. I think you can definitely pencil in or maybe write in in pen a few specific names. I think obviously Adairson will be in goal. I think uh, Ruben Dias, uh, my my transfer of the year, will definitely be starting at center back. I would guess it'll be him and John Stones in the middle. But I, I think, Joe, to your point, like it might be a Cancelo on the left. It could theoretically be on the right, though it seems like that will be Kyle Walker. But it could also be him central. It could be him wide in a more attacking position. And I think it's about what they want to do with the ball when 
when they have it and largely not give it up. And the players and personnel that allow them to do that most successfully are going to be the ones that they go with. I think if like if you're looking at the starting lineup sheet, my guess is that like the the graphic will show you a four three three. I think it will probably be Rodri Gundogan and Kevin De Bruyne. If I were like definitely guessing, and then I had a front three of Sterling, Gabriel Jesus, and Riyad Mahrez again, sort of using that as a way to then talk about the various permutations we could see because. And I cannot tell if this is mind games or not from Pep, but he has been pretty open about how they limit their opponent's counterattacking opportunities. And the way they do that is by keeping it really tight, making sure passes are short. And that way, if you do lose the ball, you have people around and you're kind of in an easy transition to defense situation as opposed to if you're spread out, that they want to funnel wide. They don't want to cough possession up in the middle of the field. They don't want to get caught in their own half because that's how they get scored on, as Chelsea proved when they last met. So I, I think we kind of have some ideas for what City will do. And then the next level of the uh, the thought process becomes, will Pep actually do that? Or is this all a screen for Pep to do something completely different? Triple, double, triple bluffing is what yeah. Pep does best. I think, double, triple um, bluff. I think I, I'm on board with most of what you said there, boys. But I, I, the question for me with Man City teams is the fullbacks and the defensive midfield, because those are the mm-hmm. sort of the keystones of many Pep Guardiola sides. And you look back at the last few games against Chelsea, the FA Cup, semi-final defeat in April and that aforementioned Premier League game. It was Cancelo and Mendy, they were on Mendy, they were fullbacks in the in a in a back four in the FA Cup game and then they were wingbacks with a back three behind them in the in the Premier League game. So that could those could easily be the selections, but then Zinchenko and Walker could just as easily start as well in theory, yeah. couldn't they, in this one? So it's, that's really tricky as well. And then you look at the, the defensive midfield, it's been Rodri, you know, as, as God does a very good job there generally, but in, in that uh, Premier League game, it was Fernandinho and Rodri. So I'm really mm-hmm. confused about what's going to happen there. And even if you look further forward on the field, like in your predicted lineup, you didn't even mention Phil Foden, I don't think, Taylor. Uh, no. There's a lot of talent in this team and yep. it's quite difficult to place who's going to be where. But am I right in thinking that sort of fullbacks and defensive midfield are a lot of where Pep builds his team, Joe? Oh, absolutely. You look at Joao Cancelo, just to focus on him. Again, we don't know if he's going to play or not. He's played some and he's sat on the bench in other games over the last few matches for City in the Premier League. But Jao Cancelo does the Philip Lamp. He does the David Alaba. He tucks inside and provides even more stability that then helps Manchester City counterpress. When they lose the ball, then they have those fullbacks pinched in tight along with the defensive midfielder and then along with the center back. So sometimes it's a, a box of, of four players. Sometimes it's five if the other fullback is pinching in as well. Those players can suffocate the other team's counterattacks, which is something that, Taylor, I think you've done a great job of highlighting. Those players are so important at the base of City's structure. They distribute a little bit, and then they are really, they're really important when stopping opposing counterattacks in that counterpressing moments. Those players are huge for City, and, and the players that start are going to have a big job. We don't know who those guys are going to be. It could be Fernandinho at the six or Rodri, all the, all the different options we've mentioned. Either way. This is what Pep wants, right? Exactly what we're talking about. I think this is what Pep Guardiola wants. I read a quote from him that said when talking about his lineup for Saturday, I know how we play, but I have two options. We will see. You know, talking about maybe he has one lineup in mind or another lineup in mind, and he's still trying to figure out which one. All this back and forth we're doing, laying out the different possible approaches or different possible shapes and personnel. I think this is exactly what Pep wants Chelsea and Thomas Tuchel to be doing leading up to Saturday's game. Yep. So it's mind games, do you mean? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, like, I'll, I'll echo what Joe said, and maybe this is jumping ahead a little bit, but in discussing Chelsea, uh, Guardiola said, 
uh, how they how they look their best is they move perfect perfectly with Pulisic and Mount with the pockets. They are so direct with the ball. I saw this morning their game against Villa. They played good, controlled the game process. They do. They do so well. It's a final of the Champions League. I couldn't expect a less tough opponent. And then he kind of keeps going on and on about how good Chelsea are and how these certain players make them that good. And on the surface, I'm like, oh, that's nice of him to say nice things about Chelsea's attackers, including one of whom or one of them being American. But then on the other hand, I'm like, or is he telling Thomas Tuchel, like, I think these are your most important players and that's what I'm game planning for. Is he inviting him to do something else, which I do sort of think Thomas Tuchel may do. Uh, so I, like, I, I am also, of the mind that like a lot of what's going to happen between now and the game and what's already happened is tactical, but also a little bit head gamey at the same time. Hmm. Okay. So with Manchester city key players, then who sure. are the most important players on the field for Man city? And why is it Kevin De Bruyne? Joke? <laughs> yeah. He's, he's second on my list actually, after a couple other gentlemen that I just sort of smushed together in this, but De Bruyne is so important. He led the team in non-penalty expected goals and expected assists, meaning that he gets in good spots to score goals and he gets in good spots to provide his teammates with goal-scoring opportunities. And that's just kind of fancy statistical jargon for saying, yeah, he's exactly the player that you see on the screen every single week. He's so dangerous driving forward in transition. He's dangerous in possession. Stopping him is going to be a huge task for Chelsea. I think N'Golo Conte could have a lot to do with that, as could potentially members of Chelsea's back three. But, I mean, De Bruyne, every team that faces off with Man City has De Bruyne's name circled in red pen on the lineup sheet. Taylor? I would agree with Joe, and I would say that then when you, like, there is that tendency to overly focus on Kevin De Bruyne for everything he can do, and I think justifiably so, because if you give him a little bit too much time, a little bit too much space, he can absolutely thread a pass 60 yards to put somebody in on goal, but City have so many their op- so many other options, excuse me, that when you do maybe overly focus on Kevin De Bruyne, somebody like Raheem Sterling can come to the forefront, and that's a player who, in that last Premier League game, uh, in which Chelsea, or excuse me, Man City, went with the the back three, there were a lot of instructions being given to Raheem Sterling. And part of that was that Pep wanted him to be doing a couple different things than what he was doing in the moment. A lot of it seemed to be specifically runs that he wanted Sterling to make and when he wanted them to make them. This goes back to my idea that I'm not fully willing to write off that back three and may may come out in a back four, but utilize certain aspects of what they learned from playing in that back three. But a lot of it was with Chelsea themselves being in a back three, if you only have that one central attacker and if it's a false nine, as they tend to do on occasion, then suddenly that back three doesn't really know who to mark for Chelsea. And so sometimes you'll have them step out and that creates space for other runners Raheem Sterling chief among them. And I really do think it could be a big game for him because there can be that focus on Kevin De Bruyne or if the ball goes wide to say Riyad Mahrez out there. Like, like he is another reliable starter for Manchester City uh, in the Champions League, in the Premier League this season. And so if you're sliding over to deal with him, you're opening up space for somebody else to run into. And I do think that could be Raheem Sterling in this game. So he's another one who I think will ver- be very important from an attacking standpoint defensively, it again is all about Ruben Dias for me, for what he's done coming in, basically parachuting into a defense that has had lots of different people try to be the stable and reliable center back, including Vincent Company, a couple different times. Uh, and now it is Dias who is kind of 
running that line, can play left, can play right, can play central-central if they're going with a back three, and I think is just such an important leader, but also physical presence in the air and, like, competent one-on-one defender as well. He's got everything you want. If you do uh, sort of get caught out, you do find yourself in a in a transition situation, he will be there. He's a player that even when they rotate their entire, like, outfield team, he tends to be an ever-present fixture at this point. We need to take a break soon, Taylor, but I just want to pick up on one last thing about City, sure. the uh, front line, which you touched on there. Uh, there's a school of thought, a good school of thought, that they will play with a without a recognized striker, which is mm-hmm. what Chelsea do. Timo Werner dig there for me. Um, <laughs> so Sergio Aguero is what I want to know about. Yeah. Because is, I don't know if either of you have the answer to this, but is he involved in any way in this game? It seems like he's had his iron statue built and they've done the teary goodbyes. Pep Guardiola said, oh, I will miss you. I wish there was some way to keep you, even though I know I could give you an have a contract and keep you here anyway, but I wish I could keep you. He's done all that stuff. So does it mean he's had his... The curtain's gone down, or is he a super sub? I don't understand his role in this team at this point. I will try to give you a non-wishy-washy answer, even though, the, uh, like, in this case, I feel like that would be the fair answer because the honest answer is I don't know because Aguero can be such a, an important player for them, has been such an important player that uh, I think if we do see him, it's probably as a substitute. Uh, I wouldn't rule him out as a starter, but at the same time, with the personnel they have and the permutations they've utilized when it comes to that attack, I don't think he does as much for them as certain other options, be it as a false nine, if it's Bernardo Silva, if it's the mobility and physicality of Gabriel Jesus. I, I think Pep Guardiola is a a like good players coach i think the the players enjoy working with him and feel like they learn from him but i wouldn't say he isn't necessarily sentimental and i think he will make big choices if he has to and if one of them is leaving sergio aguero on the bench for the entirety of a champions league final if that means they win i think that's a thing he's going to do i think you're quite right there right let's talk about chelsea but first i really want to hear about some important (laughs) goods and services that i might be able to purchase looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Welcome back, ladies, gents, pets, anyone else who may be listening within earshot <laughs> of this show, if you're in the car, maybe. Uh, we're talking Champions League final. We're talking about Chelsea specifically. Joseph, I want to know about Chelsea, uh, about their setup. What do we know about this team? We know quite a bit more about this team, I would argue, than we know about City. Yes, we do. And it's kind of giving me comfort. There's something about just knowing. And as soon as I say all, this, all yep. of this, I'm going to look like a fool on Saturday. But there's something comforting to me about knowing roughly how a team's going to line up. And that makes me such a nerd. I get it. 
But under Thomas Tuchel, we've seen them roll out in a 3-4-3 three, three, almost every single game. I think there was one or two games where that changed slightly. But back three has been a staple. Now it's often been Jorginho and N'Golo Kante, sometimes Kovacic in there as well as that double pivot, and then three attackers across the front line and then two wing backs. So in possession, it actually looks more like a 3-2-5. Just got those wing backs pushing up from midfield into the forward line to form that five across the front line. So that's their general shape. They like to keep the ball, use the ball to create goal-scoring opportunities, just like Manchester City do. They kept 61.4% pose- possession excuse me, in the league this season. And I think at this point, it's pretty well established what they like to do in possession. It is indeed. So um, tell me about some of the positional changes that may happen here. I mean, I'm thinking about Aspilicueta, sometimes used as a third centre-back, sometimes as a right wing-back. Uh, and I suppose that affects where Reece, uh, whether Reese James plays. What, what are your thoughts on that, Joe? Yeah, that's the biggest wrinkle, as far as I can tell. And, and Taylor, I'm eager to hear your thoughts on this as well. But this all started against Leicester in the FA Cup final, where it had been Reese James as the right wing-back and Aspilicueta as the right-sided centre-back almost exclusively since Tuchel came in, or, or certainly that was the rough positional profile of each of those players. And it makes sense, right? Reese James is far more athletic. He's got a little bit more speed. Aspilicueta, we would assume, would be more solid defensively. He has a little bit more experience to read plays. But then Tuchel swapped him in the, in the FA Cup final against Leicester, and he had Reese James play as that right-sided center back in the back three, and Aspilicueta play as the right wing back. And the reason he cited for that was having speed in the, in the back three to deal with Jamie Vardy, who likes to drift into that space on Leicester's left, Chelsea's right. And I, I think there's a, lot of, there's a lot of sense in that. There's a lot of wisdom in that, in swapping those players, having a little bit more experience higher up the field, having more athleticism a little deeper down. It wouldn't shock me if we saw that in this game. I think I think Chelsea would be better off playing Reese James as that right wing back to have a little bit more speed to defend Manchester City on the wing because they really like to stretch play. And so having a little extra athleticism out wide could be helpful. But I could see Azpilicueta reprising that right wing back role and Reese James playing that center back spot. I, I will say I would be surprised if they don't go back to James at right wing back and Aspilicueta as the right center back. Uh, I think they did it against Villa again with Aspi on the, as the right wing back. Dave, excuse me. Uh, <laughs> not great. And also, I think the idea was to like like try to negate the pace of Ali Watkins. Uh, but and with City, there's certainly pace, but there's not as much individual pace yeah. of that level of yeah. Ali Watkins or Jamie Vardy. So I think what you then lose if you do kind of stick with what they've been doing is you don't have Reese James as the attacking outlet to sort of keep Manchester City a bit more honest. Because as I said, if they're going to lose possession, they much prefer to do that in the channels because then they've, uh, in their ideal buildup, they've already committed numbers over there. So even if they turn the ball over, they've got four players kind of surrounding. It makes it really difficult to do anything other than hoof that ball long or hoof that ball down the channel. If you have Reese James, though, you do have that pace. And obviously, we've seen it from him a number of different times this season. He can ride a challenge while keeping the pace going and then deliver a good ball in, deliver a good shot if the uh, situation allows. And so I think he gives them an outlet that Aspilicueta would not and certainly is a more attacking option for when they're able to get into strong attacking positions. I think you'd rather have Reese James involved than Dave Aspilicueta. And speaking of strong attacking positions, Tete, this is a team that is sometimes accused, rightly or wrongly, of not creating mm. enough scoring opportunities. So why don't yes. we talk about that front three? Sure. Uh, are we presuming Werner, Ziyech, and Mount? Is there any American influence that might creep in there? I am going to go a different route, uh, and then I look forward to hearing what Joe thinks. Ooh. But 
I I think what we've been seeing from Chelsea lately has been Timo Werner up top as the sort of outlet. Uh, and I think the idea is he can play with his back to goal if you play the ball into his feet. Ideally, you have runners coming off of him. And what Chelsea have done uh, in, in the past is push N'Golo Kante closer to him. So then there's an easy outlet pass there, a layoff pass, and then Chelsea can sustain possession. But when they don't have that, when Werner is isolated... I think he struggles to hold it up 1v1 himself. And so more often they go for that sort of long ball. And that's where we tend to see him offside because he has the pace. He can keep defenses honest, but I think sometimes can be a little bit too eager. or Maybe the ball doesn't come as quickly as he wants. Uh, I'll come back to this later on with my specific predictions. But I think there's a chance. And where I have gone is Mason Mount for sure starting in this game. I have it as Kai Havertz and Timo Werner. And I have Kai Havertz as sort of the false nine who can move around, do the hold-up thing, be big, tall, and physical. But then you have Timo Werner to one side, theoretically needing to do some defending. But I think being still that kind of pacey outlet. But now you have Kai Havertz central to do the hold-up work. And then Timo Werner can focus on making those sort of darting runs, those diagonal runs, finding space. And again, making City uncomfortable. And I think that will be a big part of what Chelsea are trying to do. So that's my sort of big prediction roll of the dice from Thomas Tuchel would be uh, a front three of Mount with, uh, I guess, Werner and Havertz a little bit further ahead of him. Okay. Um, Joe, what are your thoughts on that? Do you agree with those personnel? Uh, habits involved? Any Anyone involved who might like insurrections and Second Amendment? <laughs> I think Christian Pulisic will come off the bench in this game. That's, I guess, a, a random prediction for you. I just think his skill set fits that role better to come on and be that little burst of energy at the end of a game. I, I, I wouldn't be shocked to see him start, but that feels like a pretty natural role for him. Mason Mount, Taylor, I'm totally with you. He is a shoe in to start in this game. And then it could very likely be, it could very well be Timo Werner and Kai Havertz both starting. They they complement each other well. I reached out to uh, a coach and a, a friend of mine on social media from, uh, his name's Kieran Doyle, and he lives up in Canada, but he's a big Chelsea fan and watches their games religiously. And I asked him, like, man, what are the, what are the differences between Kai Havertz and Timo Werner? What... How do we how do we figure out who's going to play? What do they do? Kai Havertz he he specifically said it's not really a false nine, even though he does play that number nine role. He's more of just a well rounded number nine that can drop in and connect, but also plays higher up the field. He's not dropping in Jesus yep. Ferreira style every single second. He can connect. He can shift laterally across the front line. He can hold a center back off, lay the ball off, or he can get on the end of crosses in the box. And against Manchester City, that could be useful. And then you've got Timo Werner, who likes to run in behind. Taylor, you talked about that. He loves to drift over to the left and then run in behind, interchange with other members of the attacking uh, front line. So I I could totally see those two players complementing each other well, rotating in and out of that central attacker spot. When Werner makes those runs in behind, then maybe Havertz takes up that space. Or, or if Pulisic does start, he could rotate in for Kai Havertz. It would not shock me at all to see a front three of Kai Havertz, Timo Werner, and Mason Mount in some alignment in that group. Yeah, I think this is like what it basically boils down to is that there are maybe six, five to six players for three spots. And that's been the story for Chelsea. It will probably continue to be the story for Chelsea. And so I think the only one that I would say maybe two with confidence would be 
Timo Werner's in there in some position, and Mason Mount is definitely in there, which then makes it essentially uh, Christian Pulisic, uh, Hakeem Zayesh, and uh, Kai Havertz all kind of vying for that one spot. And that's where I won't be so disappointed if it is Pulisic coming off the bench. And even going back to that last game between Chelsea and Man City, I felt like Pulisic had some very good moments when he was on the ball and sort of took people on, opened up some space or even attack space with the ball to make City then collapse upon him and that opened up space for other people which is all of what this game is going to be all about but I also saw him get knocked off the ball really easily and Joe we talked about this on our Americans Abroad review show that for every dribble he had there were at least one or two moments where he easily was dispossessed or bumped off the ball and maybe you don't want to start with that but against a more fatigued Manchester City team ideally in the second half bringing him on as a kind of impact super sub fresh legs take people on try some stuff that feels like a recipe for some success for him and that's where I I am more okay with him coming off the bench. Would certainly prefer him to start. But my final question then for you, Joe, on this topic would be, how thrilled would you be if Pep Guardiola, in describing what he wants Kai Havertz to do, how thrilled would you be if he said, I mean, he's not going to drop in Jesus Ferreira style. Like, <laughs> would, that, would that be like the crowning achievement of your U.S. men's national team fandom? Oh, my gosh. That would mean that Tuchel's listening to this episode and that he knows. I mean, yeah, yeah. If he knows what FC Dallas <laughs> is, Taylor, I would be just Excuse so me, ecstatic. I, I, Guardiola, I, I knew what you meant. Guardiola, like, Guardiola yeah. doesn't have much say over what he does. <laughs> <laughs> if Tuchel has ever watched a second of FC Dallas playing Frisco, Texas, I will. I don't know. I'll do something crazy. Cut to Thomas Ducal with his like his like old school Dallas burn foam <laughs> finger. You don't know. You don't he's know. He's a big about. Mauro Diaz fan, which is a reference that will land for like eight people. I mean, hey, he might need some central midfielders. Uh, two quick little injury updates: in Golo Conte, uh, I would assume will play, but has a, a minor injury. If he can't go, likely it would then be Kovacic and Gor- Jorginho. Yeah. Uh, but my guess would be that it's Conte Jorginho, and then. Uh, we did also have Edouard Mendy uh, get a knock in the ribs this past weekend. It seems like he will be fully fit to go. But I, I can imagine Chelsea fans being slightly nervous because if not, then it's Kepa. And that brings back the whole conversation about an unreliable goalkeeper in a Champions League final. When has that ever gone wrong? Oh, every time? Every time it's gone wrong? Okay, in that case, I think Chelsea fans will be hoping for Mendy to start between the sticks. Yeah, Liverpool fans look away at that presumption there. Um, yeah. Billy Gilmore, maybe? Does he get involved in the midfield potentially if Kante's not there? Could that be a thing? Nah. Oh, hang on, didn't he partner? I think he partnered um, Kante he did. in the Premier League game, didn't he? You are correct, he did. Yeah. He has played, I think, two of their last five games. Worth noting, Pulisic has played four of their last five games, which does make me happy. Yeah, so I, I mean, Billy Gilmore's certainly going to be on the bench. I would not be surprised if he is involved, but... It's just a matter of, is it damage control or is it go on and try something? Or maybe it's even the only Gunnar Solskjaer. Hey, I've waited till the 100th minute to make my substitutions. Uh, can you take a penalty? If so, get down there. See what happens. Um, I want to get your thoughts on Chelsea's key men, gents, quickly. But just just to come back to Ziyech, who seemed to mm-hmm. be the old man out when we were talking about those front three or those five options for front three. It seems like Thomas Tuchel likes him more than everyone else. Mm-hmm. And he tries to play him into form to a certain extent. I mean, he, he was very good in that aforementioned Premier League game. He, that was the one where he scored the equaliser and uh, put on a very good show. But it seems like he doesn't, there's not a, love, a lot of love for him from the fans and the pundits, Joe. Is that fair that he, he's sort of the odd man out when you look at who's going to fit into that front three? I mean, I don't know what the fans and the pundits think. I'm a big fan of Akeem Ziyech's game. Uh, it's just... 
it's just hard to envision him starting. I don't think he's been used as much this season by Tuchel. And for me, he fits in the game a little bit better where you think, okay, we're going to come in and have a bunch of possession. Ajax, when, when Ziyech was back with Ajax, he, you know, he, his team had a lot of the ball. And Chelsea do have a lot of the ball, but in this game, you can't be entirely certain that they are going to dominate possession against Manchester City. So if you can say, okay, Hakeem, go out there. You're going to play on the right, cut inside all you want on your left foot, and you can go out there and have a blast, combine a little bit with Kai Havertz. I think that works well. In a game where you're not quite as sure what the tactical conditions are going to be, maybe you don't want to take that risk. All right. Um, key men. I've got written down here Kante and Mason Mount, but I, I go to Starbucks and order a grande latte. I'm a basic B, so what do I know? <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so, Taylor, what is it? A- any more men beyond those ones I've mentioned? No, that's it. Those are the only two. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think there's, there's a few more. I think Thiago Silva, who I would expect to start in the heart of the defense for Chelsea, like this is pretty much the reason why they brought him in in the first place. It's big game experience, it's the veteran know-how, but but it is also I think the 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 just sort of calm in the face of what is going to be an onslaught for Manchester City at times and I think that you have a player that I think of at least and I'm not trying to say I'm the biggest Brazil or Thiago Silva fan, but I think of as being a calm defensive option, especially when compared to his national teammate, David Luiz. So maybe that's where some of that bias is coming from. But I think he will be so important. The same goes for uh, Antonio Rudiger. Uh, I'll talk more about him when we get to some predictions. But I think you're absolutely right, though, though, Ryan, that Conte and Mount just feels like it will be the important combo because Conte does so much for them defensively, but is carrying that knock. So if he can't go or if he can't go the whole game, how they adjust what they're going to do, because I think he... Maybe Kovacic is a little bit better with like incisive forward passing. Maybe Jorginho is is a little bit better with his like passing vision. But I think Conte is sort of better at a lot of things and good enough at the other things that he is like fundamentally just an important player for how Chelsea wants to attack and defend and transition to both. And Mason Mount is just has become a creative force for them. He takes people on. He has. I forget how many key passes this season, but he's in their top three, I think, for key passes created. He scores goals, he gets assists, he draws fouls, he draws opposition cards, and and I think could play centrally, could play wide, could rotate from right to left and left to right, and then a little bit central at times. And I think he is increasingly good at knowing where he needs to be in the exact right moment, and I think that has a lot to do with the specificity of the way Tuchel coaches and trains, but he is a player who I went from thinking was okay, slash a lightweight Christian Pulisic, to now thinking, <laughs> he's quite good. He's quite good, that Mason Mount. Oh, that's quite a transition. Uh, it Joe, is. What do you think? Uh, Frank Lampard's son, Mason Mount, is the key man? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's the top of my list as far as key players for Chelsea goes. Bring so much in all phases of play. The last... Two guys I want to mention quickly before I shut up about Chelsea. Uh, ben Chilwell and Reese James. If we're assuming that Reese James is going to play right wing back, Ben Chilwell almost certainly going to start at left wing back. I think they're going to have a lot to do in this game, defending against Chelsea's wide players. The wingers for Pep Guardiola so often are providing width. In the Champions League recently, we've seen Riyad Mahrez and Phil Foden stay really wide. And sometimes it's been Zinchenko and Walker. But we'll see that the wide players for Chelsea stay wide and not hug inside and come inside like we see with Chelsea's wingers, quote-unquote. They're more inside forwards. So with Manchester City, you have so much width that you have to deal with. And and Reese James and Ben Chilwell are going to be really important to make sure that their center backs don't get overrun. Aspilicueta and Rudiger 
likely don't get overrun and overloaded with midfielders running into those gaps if they get pulled wide. It's going to be a challenging job, and I think they're going to be key. Maybe not because they're always the best performers for Chelsea, but I think they're going to be key in this game. Well, I, for one, am very much looking forward to uh, Chilwell having several assists ruled out for offside for when the <laughs> inevitable happens. Um, that was a very specific prediction, and there'll be many more of those coming very shortly. Hey, folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show, reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early. There are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation. There's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly. There's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there. There's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain. There are many things to deal with. And unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively. But for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Total Soccer Show, we are back. We are coming into some very specific predictions very shortly. But first, we're going to talk about some key matchups. For example, um, Edison, who's going to be playing up front for Man City, um, up against the, uh, the Chelsea backline. That's my key matchup there. Taylor, have you got any? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mentioned him earlier. Uh, Antonio Rudiger and 
his, his decision to step and when versus whomever he's up against. That is a battle that I think will be really important and I think will be something that Manchester City try to spotlight because in the games that we've seen them play against each other already this season, when one when it was the false nine, if it was Gabriel Jesus or Riyad Mahrez on the right or even Phil Foden when he was in there, if it was one of them like sort of dropping back into the heart of midfield to create an overload to give Manchester City numbers, I think it was also... With the knowledge that Rudiger, if he was the one marking, was going to be the one to track that and to follow and make sure that that overload didn't become problematic for Chelsea. But what that can then mean with Rudiger stepping forward with Ben Chilwell wide and usually forward is that there is a ton of space down that left hand side. And so how Chelsea go about continuing to have Rudiger, if that's what they want to do, track that run, but also making sure they're not vulnerable to counterattacks into that space, which they have been on multiple occasions of late. That is a a big matchup that I want to see how Thomas Tuchel handles, because it is definitely a thing that I think Pep Guardiola, whomever he has up top, is going to have go stand on Rudiger and then check into midfield and see what happens. Um, by the way, yeah, Edison will be up top. I'll, I'll reaffirm that. He's, uh, <laughs> who scored ranking is 6.66. That means it's going to be chaos. It's going to be chaos <laughs> from this game. Guaranteed. Joe, any matchups? Key matchups? Yeah, I'm going to watch out for John Stones and Timo Werner. If, if Timo Werner starts and he makes those runs to the left, like I think he will and like he often does, John Stones has been Manchester City's right-sided center back in most of their games, especially towards the latter end of this season. If it's John Stones at right center back, that matches up really well with Werner playing shaded towards the left side, at least, of Chelsea's attack. Stones is going to have to be up for it. He's going to have to be mobile and ready to to defend him behind and have that offside trap ready uh, with Ruben Diaz and the rest of that back line. I, I expect to see Timo Werner make a lot of those runs and how City deal with that, specifically with John Stones, is going to be key in this game, I think. All right, I think it's just about time to get into the VSPs, Tay-Tay. Do you want to set up this uh, this conceit for us, please? Yeah, it's basically, we came up with the idea uh, a long time ago on the Total Soccer Show, but it's it, essentially, it's too easy to say, ah, yeah, Chelsea will win 1-0 or City will win 3-0. Uh, it's too easy to say, like, ah, I think this guy's going to get a goal, just because you don't really have to think about it and it doesn't necessarily help inform. It oftentimes can just be what you think is going to happen from your gut, which can be useful. But then what we try to do is back that gut feeling up with, well, why do we think that and what do we think specifically could happen? And that's where the predictions come in. So instead of it being, uh, Sergio Aguero is going to get a goal. It's going to be Sergio Aguero is going to get a, a volley off of a set piece or score a set piece goal or just something a little more specific that we think tells a small part of the story of what this game is going to be. Okay. Um, in that spirit, can I go first? I think my prediction fits into that remit, but it might be a bit general, but I'll, I'll, I'll put it out there anyway. Sure. Chelsea are going to win 3-0. <laughs> Oh and Manchester City will not be competitive in this game. Hmm. Uh, I, I say this, but there is some part gut feeling in this because I think you remember when I think when Chelsea beat Porto, I just said they're going to win this whole thing. It's inevitable. They're going to poop house their way like they did back when they did 2012. <laughs> uh, so that's in the back of my mind. But also something that was brought up by the journalist John Bruin on another podcast this week, he absolutely nailed the feeling I've had for a little while about this game. And it's that Manchester City are not in the right headspace and they're setting themselves up for failure. Hmm. He said some words along the lines of, if Sir Alex Ferguson was looking at a Man City team right now, he looks at them crying on the field because of Sergio Aguero. He looks at videos of Pep Guardiola smoking a cigar and being a bit drunk uh, hmm. a few weeks before a Champions League final. He looks at them and he says, they're soft. They're not 
in the right headspace to go out and be aggressive and win a game. And I kind of agree with that. Hmm. And, you know, looking at another example, the the Sergio Aguero thing and Pep Guardiola kind of getting very emotional and the whole team getting emotional and and unveiling statues and, and putting a curtain up on that chapter it felt very reminiscent of Brazil going into that game when Neymar was injured, Mm -hmm. holding up his shirt, all in tears. Not quite the same circumstances, but the same ethos behind it. And I just feel like, I just feel like Man City feel like their name's on the trophy already and they've got their feet up and Pep's doing his, I'm very relaxed thing. I'm having a cigar. And I think, I just don't believe that the team are in the right headspace. And that kind of thing is very important going into a game. I know that's not a very specific prediction. It's quite broad, but that is how I'm painting what's going to happen here. And I don't like it, but I think that's I mean, what's going to happen. I mean, my mouth has been hanging open, but then increasingly I've started nodding. Because I think you've made some points in there, Ryan. I, I, I also respect the 3-0 swing. You are swinging <laughs> through the fences there. It wasn't just the, like, oh, I could see Chelsea getting a result here. 1-0. Is that Why you impersonating you me? That's you impersonating me, Taylor, isn't it? <laughs> no, it's me impersonating myself because that's the type of thing I would try to do. Because Daniel and I used to do the specific predictions competitively. And so rather than take that big swing, I would go for like, but they're probably going to win 1-0. So I'm going to say that, but then make it a big thing. It is a You're Ryan has made it a big thing. It's ambitious and because Champions League finals aren't usually that one-sided scoreline-wise. I get that. But I just think, I just think the Man City aren't going to be in this one. That's so my if we, So if we continue that, that like line of thought for a second, because I'm not saying I agree with you, but I can see where you're coming from. Because even at the beginning of this conversation, like th- there was this idea that it, it's, it's already Man City's Champions League, that people think they mm-hmm. are definitely going to win. They're head and shoulders the favorite, and I think there are reasons for that. But, like, there is flipping it around for a moment. If you told Chelsea fans when things were as bad as they were with Frank Lampard, you're going to make the Champions League again, uh, albeit on the last day, and you're going to be in the Champions League final. It, like, if they were, if you're talking to them and explaining this moment right here, I think they would be like, that sounds amazing. I don't know how that happens, but sure, let's make it happen. And so, to some extent, they're playing with house money at this point. Mm. Obviously, they want to win. Obviously, they're going to take it very seriously. But no one is expecting Chelsea to come in and win 3-0, except for Ryan Bailey and maybe a few other people. And if anything, it's the other way around. So it reminds me a little bit of the presidential candidate who knows they're not going to win and is only going to get a tiny percentage of like the nomination votes. But he's therefore a little bit more free in how they're going to speak and what they want to say. Yeah, he became and president, I wonder if ma- Taylor. What's that? That guy became president, by the way. Yeah, yeah, but that was that was too free. <laughs> that, that was that was too bad. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, but I think there's maybe at the very least Chelsea could just be a little bit more free in what they want to do because there's less of that pressure. That said, I think it will be drilled into them that a tiny mistake in Manchester City will put you to the sword. So maybe there are nerves of a different kind there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Joe, I like it though. Predictions. Thank you. My my first very specific prediction is that we're going to see at least two noticeable tactical adjustments in the first half. And I know this is on brand for me, but it's, it is rooted in something that actually happened. I went back and watched long stretches of that May 8th game where City messed with their back line a little bit, added in that third center back defensively, at least it was still a back four in possession. But they tweaked with their tactics, uh, and, and you guys have talked about that on the weekend review, and Taylor, you've referenced it already. But in that game, there was a lot of rotations, and Tuchel called the first half of that game on May 8th tactical. 
because he was making adjustments. Then Pep was making adjustments. City were playing through midfield and overloaded Conte. City adjusted to give him some more cover. Then Manchester, oh, Chelsea, excuse me, adjusted to give him some more cover. City can't be doing all this stuff. Then City dropped Gabriel Jesus into midfield to nullify Chelsea's adjustment. Then Chelsea did something else. I mean, it just went back and forth. And so I went a little more conservative. Because uh, I don't want to say four or five noticeable adjustments in that first 45 minutes. But I think two adjustments could be one from either team, could be both from a single team. This feels like a game that's set for two managers to play chess from from the weeks leading up to it, from the days leading up to it. But then also even after the opening whistle. Apparently, I'm just going to piggyback off of what everybody else says. Because, Joe, I think that's a really smart prediction as well. Because I think it also does a good job of summarizing the kind of difficulties we had in discussing what will happen from a lineup formation standpoint. Yeah. That I, I have to believe that both of these managers have here's what they here's what we do if they do this and here's what we do if they do that yeah. and then as soon as Pep or Thomas Tuchel is able to see what the opposition is doing and how they're handling certain scenarios I think we then see those adjustments based on oh Rudiger's not stepping okay then we do have the space a little further away from goal that's where we're going to try to to create overloads and I think you'll see that type of tinkering once things become clear in those first 15 to 20 minutes so again I think solid predictions fellas thank you uh, yeah one was much more specific than the other I would say <laughs> <laughs> I think Joe very much stuck to the remit. Uh, Taylor, what you got? Uh, a couple ones. I think Mason Mount is going to be the most fouled Chelsea player on the field. I think because he is going to start, he's one of the only ones that I'm definite in, in saying that he will be in there. But I think also for uh, being an attacking threat, for always kind of looking for shots in and around the box so we could see some of those. Like, don't let him shoot fouls for Manchester City. Also, he can be very important in taking people on 1v1 or in transition, and we know Chelsea will, or excuse me, City, will go with the foul if they have to, if they feel they're exposed through the middle. And I wouldn't necessarily be surprised if that's a thing that Chelsea actively try to do which is where i would say it's not necessarily a key matchup but one thing to keep an eye on is in the first maybe 10 minutes or so if there is a big challenge how does the official deal with it because if we have a yellow in the first 10 or 15 minutes that sets a tone and then those players are maybe going to back off a little bit but if we have a big challenge and it's play on or it's all right that's a free kick nothing more than that I think it also tells players they can get away with some stuff, and I think Mason Mount might suffer for that. Um, I also had Timo Werner is going to be offside at least three times uh, in this game because they're going to be looking for him long, and I think that's a thing that we've seen happen in the past. And another one for Manchester City. It's kind of already one that Ryan has referenced, so Ryan, you can have this one if you like, but I have at least one out-of-the-box, way-out-of-his-box clearance from Adairson. <laughs> Yeah, that's a given. That's not a given. <laughs> I'm just looking at the referee, by the way. It's a guy called Tom Henning Overbo for this one. Interesting. Yeah. What? I was doing a Chelsea joke. Don't worry. Let's move <laughs> oh, on. Okay. <laughs> Who's Tom Henning Overbo? He was the uh, the Chelsea referee in that Champions League. Uh, uh, what was the game? The um, the Barcelona Chelsea game. That one. Oh, the, that it was one. a disgrace one. Oh, the disgrace game. Oh, yeah. wow. That would be. I I honestly I I thought your joke there was just that that was the most ridiculously English name I've heard of. But maybe he wasn't even English. He was very much a Norwegian. Tom Henning over uh, Of course. Oh, Tom yeah. Henning. Of course. Yeah. My my mistake. <laughs> Wait, was it Tom Henning or Tom Henning Overbook? I don't know. Heading over, though. I don't know. He was Norwegian. Either way, he was controversial. Joe, any more? Yeah, I have uh, one more for Chelsea. I think Christian Pulisic, this is very similar to Taylor's, but with a different player. I think Christian Pulisic will draw at least five fouls. And part of that is me thinking, mm-hmm. okay, he's going to come off the bench. But the other part is me thinking, man, I, I remember that Porto game, the second leg against Porto, where he drew 11 yes. fouls 
in that match. One of the most fouled games performances, if you can use those two words next to each other. Fouled performances in the history of the Champions League. So when he's on, he's electric. And when he's coming off the bench, I think he's electric and starts to dribble and starts to play that catalyst role. And if he starts going, I think City are going to have to chop him down a little bit. So that's my that's my Chelsea yeah. one. And then quickly, my City prediction. I do think they're going to be dangerous in this game, unlike you, Mr. Bailey. And I have down that Ilke <laughs> Gundogan and Kevin De Bruyne are going to have a little passing combination that leads to a goal. And I don't really know if they're going to score a goal in that way. But I think it's a good way to look at two of the most important players from Manchester City and where they might be used on the field. In transition, they both kind of shade over to that left side. And in possession, we see that as well. Gundogan sometimes playing a little deeper, De Bruyne a little higher, but they both are often roughly closer to that left side or closer to the left sideline, still in the middle of the field. But they like to combine. They're two of the most uh, used players. They have two of the most touches of any any attacking player, any non-fullback, center-back, goalkeeper, or defensive midfielder for Manchester City. They're huge, hugely important players for Pep, and I can see Pep trying to use those two guys in midfield to try to overload N'Golo Kante a little bit. So that's another, I guess, a matchup that I'm looking out for. How how does Kante cover that ground on the right side of Chelsea's shape, the left side of City's uh, attacking shape, and, and how does Pep potentially use Kevin De Bruyne and Ilkay Gundogan to combine around him and then lead on to score a goal because, after all, that's what I've predicted. My final one, uh, since we're running a little long, I'll try to be quick with this one. I will just say that though he is not their top scorer, I think Raheem Sterling will be very important in this game. Mm. So I have Raheem Sterling getting a goal or an assist, and if pressed, I'll say he's going to get a goal. Boom. All right. I see Raheem Sterling doing one of those. You remember the England-Italy game where he hit the side netting and everyone thought he scored? Oh, Yeah. I, I, I can see some teasing and some almosts from Raheem Sterling, but maybe... maybe I hope that doesn't happen rough. again. I felt so bad for England fans with that one. Oh, so did I. I was watching that in a <laughs> bar in Rio with a pe- no England, no English people except for myself that day. Sad times indeed. Um, I, for the record, I do hope that Manchester City are competitive in this game, it, but my prediction is the kind of one where it sounds really wild, but when it happens, I'm going to be the smartest man ever. <laughs> so... That's it's weird, Ryan. I think you misspoke. You said smartest, but I feel like you meant to say smuggest. <laughs> There's Aren't that it sass. Be both, Taylor? There's Aren't that it sass. Be <laughs> things can be two things. There we go. We'll bring it to a close with that. <laughs> All right, Sassy McSassison. Why don't we wrap this one up? I am very much looking forward to this game. I do hope it's not one of those tense, nervous Champions Leagues which aren't super entertaining, which we have had many times in the past. Uh, this one, I'm hoping, is a bit more open. What do we think, both guys? Both of Chelsea's final appearances <laughs> would be penalty shootouts, I believe. I think it's going to be slow. I think it's going to be slow. Sadly slow, sadly, sadly methodical and tactical. But I would absolutely love to be proven wrong. There's just something about a final in a tournament that doesn't lend itself to like this massively entertaining soccer. But all that said, watch the game and listen to our uh, review show on Monday. Yeah. Yeah, I want to I want I want to really point. echo what Joe just said there because we get that question a lot about like how should I watch the game? If I'm new to soccer, what should I pay attention to? And and I would say this game is is a big one for me of watch it without your phone in your hand, without, like, if you can, unless you, if you want it to be a social thing, make it a social thing. But otherwise, I would say watch it and really try to pay attention to the things that Joe, for example, already talked about with some of those changes, some of those adjustments. Because once you start spotting that type of thing, a boring nil-nil becomes a really interesting, I will not use the cliche of the other game that sometimes gets compared in these moments, but I will say it's advanced checkers. Uh, in, the, in that, like, it becomes more fun to watch. Like, oh, he moved him there, now he moved him there. And you can see how they're trying to cancel each other out. And this game, I feel like, has a lot 
of possibility of being that style of affair. But I think if you're watching it from the perspective of what are they trying to do to outsmart each other, it becomes that much more engaging. But I think it's really hard to do if you're not super focused and instead reading on Twitter about how boring the game is. Um, you lost me at uh, don't have your phone in your hand. I don't remember the last <laughs> thing I didn't do that with phone in my hand. I'm playing Words with Friends right now, Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> You can always tell I have my phone in my hand when we're recording when you ask me a question and there's a two Mississippi pause and then I say, yeah, that's what's happened there. I edit that out. You're welcome, Taylor. Thanks, buddy. Uh, uh, there was a six second pause there, a listener, that you didn't even hear. Anyway, uh, thank you very much, uh, Taylor yeah. and Joe. I'm very much looking forward to this Champions League final. Taylor, I love you very much. I hope you I- watch the game without a phone in your hand. I love you both very much for the reason that I was not in a great mood when we started recording this because Manchester United don't know how to score goals. But now I feel way better because I had fun talking about a game that I think will be very fun. So thank you both for that. Joe, I love you very much. Also, one last prediction from you. The over-under in the penalty shooter, over or under 21 goals in that one. Oh, over. you got to outdo the Europa League. Come on now. Come on now. No, Ryan, thanks for doing this as always. You're the man for hosting. Taylor, your analysis on point as always. And I'm excited for Monday. Bye!